Welcome back, everybody, to Do Your Part. You know who I am, and you know what we're doing here. We're going to talk to a new guest. His name is David Westfall, 50 years old, from Indiana. He's a veteran. He's a volunteer, and we're going to cover a lot of stuff, race relations, uh, what it's like being in the military as a gay man. Stick with us. It's going to be a good one. Everything is fueled from me wanting to be a better person on Earth. It's time to do your part. I don't want you to dream. I want you to do it. Tap into the conversation. Check one, two. As we cover the latest issues affecting our communities and the world. It is absolutely vital that the truth comes out. Resolve your unconscious bias and grow from firsthand experiences. Is your mind truly free or is it caged? This is Do Your Part with Brian Gallo. Welcome back, everybody, to Do Your Part. You know who I am, and uh, you don't know who this guy is. We have another new, exciting guest with a very unique perspective. We get to talk to Dave Westfall today. He's a, a veteran. He's a, from the Midwest. I know a little bit about him. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm glad you're here. I don't really know you, but I kind of know you. And in discussions we've had, I was like, you know what? my uh, radar went up and I said, I got to get you in here for this. So nice. thanks for being here. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, why Why did you decide to come? Just because I asked? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, you, you asked. Uh, I thought maybe my story would be interesting for some people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I do feel like maybe there's some things I'd like to say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I I'm like here. that. Yeah. So then let's jump right in. What is interesting about your story? Uh, so Tell I, us about your story. Get, paint us a beautiful picture. Yeah, I've kind of been... I kind of went everywhere. So I, I started out in a small town, Midwest. Uh, I was born in Gary, Indiana. You're the third <laughs> guest out of like 10 from Gary, Indiana. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> and I won't ask you about the Jacksons. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, I was born in Gary, grew up in a small town, Lowell, Indiana. Mm-hmm. It's just south of Gary, like maybe 20 miles. Uh, and you know, I really realized when I was in high school that I needed to get out of there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that It's sort of a dying community there and i you know dying might be a little bit of a strong word but uh but lake county indiana and you know that area was heavily into industry mm-hmm. it was the most industrialized county in the nation wow and you know graduating high school in the late 80s there's not a lot of jobs left there and i wanted to, i was you know tossed around going right to college and i ended up joining the military so mm-hmm. had never been to the ocean and joined the navy <laughs> So the yeah. ocean and traveling were the two things that called you to the Navy. Yep. Yep. So I, I, and, and getting out of my, out of my little town. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had realized I was gay mm-hmm. or I was starting to realize that not mm-hmm. quite like, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, uh, uh, or went to a Baptist school mm-hmm. and Baptist high school and it was very conservative, uh, but yeah, let me stop you there, because yeah. it seems like given the era and the time and given the school and setting you were in, the fact that you were able to come out that at that age. Is, I didn't come out yet, but I was starting to realize. We were coming that, out to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look at stories of Mormons or some mm-hmm. people that come out in their 50s and 60s because of their, you know, the religious kind of influence. Yeah, this is yeah. interesting. Go on. Yeah, I started to realize. And I, and I think at that point when I was, I enlisted when I was 17 and left went right after my 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh it was more of a sense of I need to find myself and I'm not going to find it here. Wow. And that, that was kind of what, what drove me. It was your eat, pray, love. Right. And my parents, uh, wanted me strongly suggested that I go to a Christian college and I knew I did not want to do that. Not that I have anything against Christian colleges, but I had already had, you know, six years of Christian school and I just felt, you know, in my heart that was enough. Mm -hmm. And, and I wanted to have different perspectives. When you're in these schools, yeah. are you learning more about the Bible? Or are you learning more about academics and ABCs and one, two, threes? Right. It's it's academics. So it was a pretty, you know, pretty good school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I graduated salutatorian. Woo-hoo. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wasn't really saying much. There was only 10 in our class. <laughs> I was still, you're still one out of 10. Come right, on. right. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, the school is really a good school. Like, you know, I don't have anything really bad to say about it, except that it's extremely, you know, conservative it's yeah. really you know we had to have short hair and could wear jeans and tennis shoes and girls had to wear dresses and was it diverse were there uh, all people of color in there were very little mm. uh yeah it wasn't a, a, an exclusive school or they didn't exclude anybody um but there were very little you know the, it the community itself was probably 95 percent white mm-hmm. in in lowell 
the county of Lake County is a very mixed county, mm. but Lowell's on the southern end. It's more of a more of a farming community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it's very small. Mm-hmm. So at that time, now it's more more mixed. Now it's more of a suburb of Chicago. Gotcha. By, at this point, so uh, but in the eighties, yeah, for sure was you know mostly white. Mm-hmm. I, that's actually interesting because when I got in the Navy. And, uh, you know, instantly when you enter the military, the military reflects, you know, society. America. <laughs> yeah, America. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so it was really interesting for me because I was around people of all different backgrounds, racial backgrounds, whatever. Uh, I often tell people that that formulated views for me that I, I carry on to this day because I had a lot of sort of intrinsic bias. Mm-hmm. That, you know, obviously everyone still carries it. Uh-huh. Uh, but that time... Uh, being 18, just barely 18 years old mm-hmm. and, you know, being surrounded by people from all over the nation and all different backgrounds, all different races really, uh, began to formulate, uh, you know, my, my thinking going forward for the mm-hmm. rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I want to hover yeah. on something for a moment. And again, I'm yeah. not here to kind of hard press you, but I'm curious, yeah. intrinsic bias. What, 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 what was that? What were those? Oh, so if you're open to sharing. Yeah. 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 So I would say growing up, in the Midwest, and this might not be everybody, but you, you know, you form your opinions based on what your family might say, or what you might hear in church or school, or what you see on television. So, um, you know, I'm I was one of those people, and I think a lot of people in those small towns uh, growing up, and you know, maybe it's changed since the '80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you you have opinions of people of other racial backgrounds that you know, quite frankly, aren't true. They mm-hmm. might be for, might be some sort of stereotype you might think a certain group is lazy or a certain group is really great at math or mm-hmm. uh you know another group uh you know uh might have some sort of weird religions or whatever something like that mm-hmm. like uh it really you really have uh or you might think one group is smarter than the other group um and and those really melted away for me mm-hmm. when i got in the military melted away yeah so it wasn't even really um Work. It wasn't necessarily something that you had to map out and work on. It just melted away. Yeah, it just melted just away. Just by your experience. Yeah, because you had to rely on other people, and mm-hmm. you had to be around other people. I would say that my my family background is very not racist mm-hmm. and not, uh, you know, not they're they're not actively uh, racist. You know? Were you different from those around you? You guys were kind of different. A little bit. So mm-hmm. my uh, so my stepdad, uh, his mother was. Uh, was from Mexico. So there's a Hispanic sort of influence in that side. My stepdad raised me from the time I was six. Oh, okay. So I never really met What's his last him. name? Uh, Westfall. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's how we ended up with Westfall. Gotcha. Yep. And uh, yeah, and so there was a little bit uh, less of the, the uh, you know, hardcore sort of prejudice hardcore, influence. Yeah, yeah, that you might see in some parts. Uh huh of the Midwest and small towns and on all different levels. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, so it was very, uh, that was, that was actually good for me that I didn't have all of that baggage to Mm -hmm. sort of lose Mm -hmm. when I entered the military. And, and for sure some do, Mm -hmm. you know, some come from small towns and they have, you know, opinions that come from their parents or from others that they're around and, uh, they either lose it or they struggle Mm -hmm. in the military. I would say like, you know, the the idea that the military has a uh, white supremacy problem, I think, is not true. Mm. Uh, at least it wasn't in my experience. I've never heard that. Yeah, I, I I've mean, heard I've, of racism in the military, yeah. but I've never heard of whites. That would sound would sound tough. It almost yeah. sounds like a prison mentality. Right. Exactly. And I don't think that I saw it. I mm. or at least I never did. I never saw. I I never even saw a Confederate flag mm. or any of that stuff when mm-hmm. I was when I was in the military. I don't know how you could conduct yeah. something like that in such a diverse. Uh, again, it sounds like prison to me. Right. So. I like this because I think that when people wrap their head around military or military experience, it tends to be daunting and scary and bloody and intimidating and lonely. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like a lot of this for you was just A, shaped who you are, and B, was incredibly positive. Oh, yeah. I, I tell people that I got out of the military what I wanted to get when I went in. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best things you could say possibly about anything, mm-hmm. any job, any experience that you have. Like, I, you know, it's, it's a tough life. Uh, and I knew it wasn't, I pretty early on knew it wasn't going to be a 20 or 30 year experience for me, but I definitely got out of it what I wanted. I wanted to get out of my small town. I wanted a bit of an education. I Mm -hmm. went through the Navy's nuclear power program. 
Uh, oh wow! Yeah, I know anybody who knows anything about that. That oh, you just said nuclear power. That's so that's beyond yeah. me and probably a lot of our <laughs> listeners. Sorry, guys, love you. <laughs> it's Go on. Super intense. Yep. And uh, with wow, fifty percent attrition rate for you know just people who don't make it. Uh-huh. So or at least at that time it had a fifty percent attrition rate. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, yeah, so I got some education out of it. Uh, I got to see a lot of the world. Uh-huh. You know, I was on a fast attack submarine, uh, the USS Alexandria. Uh, which I'm going to see some of those people this week. So okay, and nice. so talk about that. Yeah. USS, this is a submarine? Yeah, it's a submarine. So uh, fast tech submarine. Well, Hold I, on real quick. Yeah. So you've spent time inside of a submarine down under thousands of feet or hundreds of feet yep, underwater. Yep. Locked in the engine room, yeah. Did your ears pop <laughs> several times? Oh, yeah, yeah. So That's a corny question. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let me interrupt you for that. So, so what's yeah, happening with this USS Alexandria? So currently they're, on, they're deployed. Mm-hmm. And they, um, you know, it's COVID-19 time, coronavirus. And so they've been basically sequestered on the boat. I don't have all the details. Uh, as uh, uh, one Secretary of Defense famously said at the beginning of the Trump administration, we don't talk about submarines. <laughs> so, yeah. Why? Uh, they, because they're, they have to stay hidden. And oh, so, gotcha. So they don't really talk about where they're at. So I don't know uh-huh. where they're at. Uh-huh. Or, or where they've been or what they've done. All I know is that they've not been able to leave the boat mm-hmm. since, you know, the whole thing started. So, uh, you know, imagine, I, I mean, I'm sure that they, they've pulled in the port and they've had, like, you could go topside kind of thing because um, they've had to probably reload stores or things what like that. What is topside where you just pull up the top? Oh, uh, where you where you pull in and then you can go like to the get pier, some fresh air. Go to the pier and hang out. Yeah, you know, maybe they even brought in stuff. To, but it's like they're on the moon. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, submarine is the closest you can come on Earth to being on a spaceship. Right. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, you produce your own air. You produce your own water. You're nuts. Yeah, you don't see what you don't see the sun. You don't. Yeah. see You don't get communications. Right. Yeah. Once when I was there, uh, they had. NLCS, ALCS baseball going on. Mm-hmm. So there were four teams, and by the time we pulled back in, uh, the World Series was over. We didn't even know who was in it. Wow. Yeah. That's how long you were gone. Yeah. Jeez. So, yeah, so we pulled back in, and then they're like, hey, so-and-so won the World I can't remember who it was. Uh-huh. Won the World Series. And, well, you yeah. don't remember because you weren't able yeah. to experience yeah. it. All right, so tell me more about what's happening with this beautiful boat. Yeah, so now, now they're pulling in. And so uh, on Facebook, the uh, the – uh, booster club, the rec committee uh, for the submarine, which is mostly like spouses of, of those serving on the submarine. Mm-hmm. They reached out on Facebook and said, hey, we're pulling in. We want to provide something for specifically for the single sailors who are on the submarine, you mm. know, uh, because they've been locked on that thing since March. And uh, and so what I did was I said, oh, that's great. You know, a lot of people were donating money and, and whatever, but I was like, hey, you know, I manage a starbucks maybe i can get together with a few of my my friends mm-hmm. turns out to be 11 stores <laughs> it's a lot of friends you got there yeah <laughs> and uh when we gathered some stuff so tomorrow we're gonna package it all up i'm gonna drive down to san diego where where the boat will be pulling in sometime i don't know when mm-hmm. nope, they never tell you exactly when and uh and i'm gonna hand it off to the to the booster club and they're gonna make sure that everybody that Everybody gets a little care package. And they are really small. So having been on a submarine, I know. It's a gesture, though. Yeah, I know that you have to do, you can't do big things. You know? Right. Don't, don't, don't buy everybody. A, a life-size teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to, that's going to be worthless. So you want to uh-huh. do, do something that's easy to store, easy to use. So we did little packets of instant coffee mm-hmm. inside a little mug because it is important to have your own mug on a submarine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> inside a little mug. And, uh and then inside a, a bag with some candy, that's it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, uh, you know, maybe with a little messages written on it, that kind of thing. And nice. Yeah, something really simple uh, that they can use. Trust me, everyone loves uh, coffee yeah. on a submarine. So one thing you don't think about on a submarine is that if you're producing your own oxygen, you're below the ocean, often the oxygen level isn't what it would be on the surface. Mm-hmm. So it's not 20.8% oxygen level. It might be much lower, significantly lower. So I, I I was telling my husband the other day, I'm like, it's like spending a month at the top of Mount Everest. Jeez. Because <laughs> the oxygen levels might be like- Hard know, pass. 
really low, below 18%. I'm getting lightheaded just hearing this. Yeah. All and right, so, so, so... Coffee's a necessity. Now, yeah, <laughs> to say the least. Now, th uh, this is just, this is kind of a private private event that you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming one of many, because you and I have talked a bit about philanthropy and, yeah. and kind of things that you're going to get involved in. So, 11 stores, what a beautiful gesture for single sailors. Yep. Popping out of the USS Alexandria yeah, in San specific. Diego this yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I challenge you, we challenge you, hopefully you'll be giving us several updates on more of these boats. What are they called? Top 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 shelving? Oh, uh, uh, top side. Top siding. Yeah. And coming out and then, uh, and also document this so we can share it with some of the oh, viewers. Yeah. So, all right. Talk more about philanthropy, because I know that yeah. gay vets is important to you. Yeah, so right now... And I, wa and I want you to talk about the plight, right? Because yeah. a lot of people don't know what's oh, going that's, on that's with good. vets and yeah. gay vets. So, again, paint us kind of a picture. Yeah, so, I mean, if you go back in time a little bit. So, I when I entered the military, Ronald Reagan was president. Mm -hmm. And uh, the official policy on homosexuals in the military service was, no, you just simply couldn't serve. And you were asked, are you a homosexual Uh went before you enlisted. Mm -hmm. I said no, because I wasn't, I, you know, small town, I didn't know, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so basically once I really came to terms with it, maybe two years after I was in, I was in for six, mm -hmm. uh, I determined just to keep my mouth shut about it. Mm -hmm. I don't tell anybody, right? Because you're kind of breaking a rule because you should have said yes in the beginning. Absolutely. I was I was on the wrong side of the UCMJ, the Uniform, Uniform Code of Military Justice. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And so I just kept my mouth shut about it. Uh, so while I was in, Bill Clinton got elected, famously ran on a platform of partially of, uh, releasing the ban on gays in the military, mm -hmm. uh, ended up not doing that compromised and did the don't ask, don't tell policy, which took away the question. So they stopped asking the question, are you a homosexual? Mm -hmm. Uh, but they didn't stop prosecuting. So if you were caught doing something that was homosexual, you would be, you know, prosecuted, kicked out. And typically, so you could get a, a dishonorable discharge if they did a full prosecution, because it was against the UCMJ. Typically, though, they would either just do it as an honorable discharge and just let you out, maybe a medical discharge sometimes. Jeez, never just a warning? Like, right. hey, clean it up? Right. Oh, no. Yeah, or they would uh, they would do an other than honorable discharge. Did you know anybody in, while you were serving that this happened to? Yeah, so a couple. Uh, so there was a, a, a guy on the boat, I'm not going to mention his name, but he ended up spending several months in restricted barracks, uh, which is... A nice jail? Yeah, nice jail, basically. Uh, he, you know, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything, uh, had guards, Uh and then finally, his parents got a lawyer for him because they hadn't heard from him. And when he finally did make a phone call, he's like, hey, do something, right? Oh my uh, <laughs> so they got a lawyer. And because the Navy didn't have any real proof, mm -hmm. uh, he, he was released. And he did go back and serve the rest of his term. Wow. Yeah. And he wanted to go back after being treated that way. Yeah, nobody wants to get another than all, other than honorable or dishonorable discharge. Gotcha. Everybody wants to to finish it out. Like, it's like your resume. Yeah, yeah. And that was my driving force. It really was. Like I wanted to get that DD-214 separation paper that said honorable discharge. And so I, you know, I, I held on and, and did it. And there was, a, there was another, you know, some people who discover that they're gay do want out. Mm -hmm. And there, so another story, and this was a, a little bit of hearsay because I heard it through the grapevine kind of thing, was a guy who, uh, who said, hey, I'm, I'm gay, I went out, and his uh, command master chief said, no. <laughs> like, we're not doing that, because it was right after Bill Clinton got elected. And, uh, and he came in with pictures, threw it on oh, the desk. <laughs> damn, of him, like, having yeah. sex with dudes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, that and then, did it. And they're like, "Okay, you're 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 free to go." Wow, that, that worked. <laughs> yeah, that worked. But that would have been a dishonorable. So he ended up probably with an other than honorable discharge, which okay. you can then fight later after you're out to mm -hmm. change to an honorable discharge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some things, some benefits or whatever that if it was initially an other than honorable discharge, that I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I think that there's some benefits you won't be able to get. Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, if your DD-214 doesn't say mm -hmm. honorable discharge. So, all right, so talk more about yeah. the veteran experience, because yeah. I know that, you know, yeah, this is uh, this is heartbreaking, and you and I have talked a bit yeah. about this, so go on. Yeah, so I, my personal experience is I got out, and I wanted nothing to do with anything military after that. Uh -huh. Like, it was really, 
a difficult life just sort of hiding who you are. And I'm like, I'm done. I got out. I, you know, I ran as far away from the military as I could. Well, this is the other side of the coin because a lot yeah. of what we talked about was positive. This is the negative. Yeah, this is the negative. And so I didn't want anything to do with it. So I, you know, didn't take any advantage of any benefits. Uh, out of I, spite. Yeah, out of just, well, and, and maybe a little bit of fear as well mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, you don't want, uh, you know, you, you got out, you got that honorable discharge. That's what you wanted. Mm -hmm. But who's to say they can't go back on you and say, look, you knew that when you were in, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Here's Paper what trail. we're going to do now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then along comes, uh, you know, and so I, I did that. And, and in talking to a lot of veterans, actually, uh, gay veterans, they did the same thing. Mm -hmm. They got out, they did not look back. And some out of fear, you know, some were, yeah, some were combat veterans, you know, not that I was shot at or anything on a submarine, uh, but uh, there were combat veterans who had maybe serious problems that just, you know, hey, no. like PTSD, for example, yeah, I'm not going to do anything about it. Wow. And so uh, using the resources that were provided for right, you, part right. of the deal that you made. Right. And so they, you know, they often run away from it. And uh, and that's very common. And so uh, so I was you know lumped right in there. And uh, and didn't really start to think about what are you know what benefits do I get uh, from having served in the military or what can they do like I have medical condition Crohn's disease which was misdiagnosed in the military mm -hmm. and so you know hey maybe they can help me with that mm -hmm. right yeah um, I didn't really start to think about that until just a few years ago so I just turned fifty yesterday happy hey, birthday thank you thank you <laughs> and uh, and I uh, I you know I was probably 45 when i started to think about hey whatever well actually no i take that back i did get a va loan for my my place 10 years ago so i was 40. okay I, uh, but still incredibly late yeah and just scratching the surface <laughs> just scratching the surface and then i started i was talking i was at a bar actually and there uh a, a straight veteran and he's like wait you have medical issues and you don't use the va and i'm like no and uh he's like you need to you need to call the VA. And so that, and that was maybe five years ago. So I called the VA and they're like, yeah, <laughs> we've been waiting for you. Yeah, so got your name right here. So now I use the VA uh, benefits that, that are there. And there's like, you know, there's a ton of benefits. There's the state offers benefits. When I was in Illinois, I had a much reduced property tax uh, on my house. Uh, California doesn't do that unless you're 100 percent disabled mm -hmm. uh but uh but a lot of states do mm -hmm. um illinois is not alone on that a lot of states reduce taxes there's a lot of stuff out there for veterans and 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 to help you if you have some medical related issue from your time of service mm -hmm. and uh you know or just you know mental health issues or crisis lines all these things right that just are there that i think you know I, i'm not alone in talking to a lot of gay vets who just don't use it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the, the medical benefits, uh, I bet that if you if you polled gay vets, maybe a very small percentage, less than 10%, are probably using the medical benefits. So when we've talked before, you talked a bit about the gay vet experience, and um, it's not comparable to other veter veterans. So is this a big mm -hmm. portion, a big part as to why? Is because you got, a lot of people aren't using the resources? Yep. And is it is there more to it? Is there more mental as far as the difference between a, a straight vet experience and a gay vet experience? Yes, yeah, because I'll tell you that I was really afraid the first time I had to go to a VA hospital uh, that oh here I am back in the military I got to hide everything mm -hmm. right uh, and and to be sure there's you know some veterans out there who uh, are very homophobic for lack of a better word right uh, and and so maybe at a veterans uh in, inside the veterans community you might run into that mm -hmm. uh i my personal experience uh especially with va health has not been that good at all mm -hmm. and uh it's been very positive um uh and you know and i've used it in two states uh mm -hmm. in illinois and in in california and uh yeah it's been very positive and so every time i meet anybody who's like who's a veteran and is gay i'm like hey have you thought about the va uh, I was talking. So you're advocating for. Oh, yeah. for are there gay, are there gay vet groups? So there there are uh, most of them though. So I've done a little bit of online research about what gay veterans groups I might want to join. I ended up actually just joining the American Legion and mm. not uh, 
a gay veterans group uh, because most of them are about advocating equality, which is great. Yeah. But it's kind of not what I'm about. I'm more, uh, you know, I'm more about, hey, just, you know, reach out and get your resources. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, use the, use those benefits that have been allotted to all of us for having served mm -hmm. um, that everybody else is using. Like, we seem to be the group that's not mm -hmm. right. And so uh, so that's that's what I'm more about. And, you know, there might be a gay group out there that's doing that. I haven't really run across it. But the good news is, is that the veterans organizations that do exist, uh, the American Legion, uh, VFW and others, uh, uh, you know, uh, DAV, uh, Disabled American Veterans, are learning to be more accepting and open mm -hmm. uh, and are in some cases actively recruiting gay vets wow and so that's a that's a positive they're not there yet when uh -huh. you go to the american legion you're gonna run into you know some of the older guys who are like whoa yeah that wasn't a thing back in my day yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i mean it was a thing back in their day they just didn't you know they just didn't say rich was bliss yeah, yeah 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 and so it's it's uh it's coming around i do think there is room and you know maybe i'll be the one to start it someday mm -hmm. for a a gay veterans group that is really just about um, a, the shared experience and not about the, the legal fight. It's documented, everybody. He said he's going to start it on his own. <laughs> We're going to hold you to that. How can people get involved? This isn't the tail end of our conversation. We've got much more. I want to talk to you a bit about race relations. I want to talk to you a bit about some of the stuff that's been going on currently. And you can save this answer for the end of the conversation. But I do want to know for gay vets or gays out there or people, allies, how can they help this specific cause? Yeah. So I, I, I don't have any uh, information on specific uh, groups, but there are groups out there that are fighting for equality for for gays. And it is a good place to spend your money. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know, like they're often tied to Lambda Legal and others. Mm -hmm. I don't want to name too many groups, but mm -hmm. uh, but they're they're out there and they are fighting to uh, to to help yeah. uh, the gay veteran community or or gays in the military. Yeah, uh, because it's still not an easy uh, plight. Mm -hmm. you know, we see what the what the current administration is doing to uh, trans gendered Americans in mm -hmm. the in the military who want to fight. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's a battle and it's going to continue to be a battle yeah. as long as 40% of the country, uh, has a negative view. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Quit looking at my notes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about gun control? Because I know from oh, your yeah. background, yeah. Look at, why do you make that face? <laughs> I feel like everybody always asks me about gun control. Well, I mean, it's, one of the, it's one of the first things, and I should have got to this at the beginning yeah. of the conversation. It's one of the things, knowing where you're from, knowing your military background, it almost seems like you would be thumbs up with guns. <laughs> and I'm not. Yeah. Really? And you're not? <laughs> well, I, you know, Whoa. here's my thing. I, I believe in the Second Amendment that you have a right to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. I also think... It should be damn hard to get a gun. Right. And it should be. It's really... Psychological evaluations. Yep. It should cost you a ton of money. <laughs> yep, yep. Go on. That's exactly my view. My view should be, it should be damn hard. Mm. It shouldn't be as easy to get a gun as it is to buy a loaf of bread. And in parts of this country, it is. And I, I, I think that's a problem. Mm. Um, I understand the feeling of protection. You know, I grew up where, like where my parents live right now, if you call the police, they're not coming for a half hour, mm. right? And I understand that you might want to have a rifle in your house because things might you never happen. know. You yeah. never know. Uh, <clears throat> but it ought to be hard to get that rifle, mm -hmm. or maybe not a rifle because you're using that for hunting mostly, but a handgun for sure. It's, a handgun's made for one reason, and it's to kill people. Right. It's not made for hunting. A lot of my friends are out buying guns, and they've been yeah. showing them to me and yeah. taking a lot of pride in their guns, and it's pretty. It's a little sci-fi yeah. to me. Yeah, and I so I, I was reading just yesterday about uh, a group in Seattle. Love you guys. Uh, yeah, who is who are advocating to more liberal people to buy guns. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I feel like I understand that. I understand that it's a give and take. The conservatives are all about guns. Liberals should have them too. Uh, I fall, I think, somewhere more along the lines of. It's about uh, safety in society and in a civil society, 
there we don't need an armed populace and in a civil society we don't need an armed populace are we a civil society uh, yeah, yeah that might be a question well no we are yeah you promise and, yeah i promise and i think that that you can you can solve your differences uh pretty much with anybody either by walking away or by having a simple conversation but that's not happening now it's not people People are really worked up. and I, I mean, you heard about this dude who was murdered yesterday at the protest. Um, where was it? Uh, I don't think I heard. I was in Oregon, I believe. It was in Portland? Yeah, I think so. No, 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 I'm wrong. I was watching Chris Coma today. It's somewhere in the, Dallas. It was in, it was in a Dallas. Mm. Go on. But BLM protest and a, a white guy married to a black woman had an AK-47 on his shoulder protesting and was shot by a, past, a guy in a car. Yeah. 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 And I I mean, it's mayhem. It's mayhem. Yeah. And the more, you know, I the statistic that the NRA likes to throw out is 340 million guns out there in America right now. Uh, That's a gun for every American, every every American. And and obviously I don't have one in my house. So Mm -hmm. uh, some people have lots. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up the, the gun rack in our house was literally above my bed. And but it was hunting. Guns. Right. It and, wasn't about murdering people or killing. It was right. about animals. Yeah. It wasn't even really about self-protection. Like it was. It was about yeah hunting, and so uh, so. You know, Why I, do you think people have these obsessions with collecting guns and going out in WalMarts and stores and having these guns over their shoulders? It's it's so it's, it's weird. I think it's a little bit of freedom. Like they want to say, look, I could do it, so I'm gonna. Right. But you've been out of the country. I always talk about this. Mm-hmm. That's freedom. Go look what. Go see what freedom really doesn't look like. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. They, uh, I, but I think that in this country, if you let people do things, they will do it. And so if we're letting people, we shouldn't let people walk around city streets with guns on them exposed or not. Right. Unless you're a cop. I totally think that if you have a gun and you know, you're looking for trouble, you're looking for trouble, you're asking for trouble, you're ready for trouble. Yep. Okay, That's your exactly energy it. is trouble. That's your intentions exactly yeah. speak of trouble. Yeah, you're, you're not not get everybody because I know the argument for people would say, "No way, it's my right to protect mm-hmm. myself." But there's crazy people out there. You never know. Right. I get that. But regardless, if you have a gun underneath your seat and somebody crazy comes around you, you're going to be more uh, prone to want to get involved. Yep. And play Superman, than mind your own business. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, you know. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't apologize. I don't apologize. It's <laughs> my I, opinion. Yeah, my my opinion is that it should be hard to get. You should be able to have it for protection uh, if you want, and you can prove that you need it for that. I'm all for that. But I I don't think that the general populace should be able to go out and buy an AR-15 mm-hmm. rifle for any reason. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you just don't need it. Was it you that was telling me that AR does not stand for assault rifle? Uh, it doesn't. I forget what it stands for, though. Okay. All uh, right. I learned something new. I thought yeah. it might have been from you or somebody else. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't and, stand for assault rifle. And this is a big part uh-huh. of, and I want you to get vulnerable with me. I really yeah. want you to get, because you got so much insight about really right and wrong, you yeah. know, and I don't want to go liberal, conservative. I don't want, I don't want to take that route with you. Yeah. But I want to understand, A, where maybe some of the disconnect is with a lot of people in today's society, mm-hmm. why this racial divide has gotten bigger. It has, right? It has. Why? I, is, is it Trump? Yeah. So I, and so I, I uh, you know, grew up uh, in the Midwest and, you know, a, a fraction of my family uh, has deep ties to Appalachia. So there's, there's that, um, you know, they made their way to... Uh, Northwest Indiana because of the steel mills. Mm-hmm. And so, but there's, there's a tie to, um, to that deep rooted uh, uh, Southern white society uh, that, that I grew up around. And so, uh, so I've seen it and, and have a little bit of it in my background. Uh, and so what I, what I think is happening is as the country moves, uh, so two things are happening. So as the country moves, more and more towards a multiracial society, you know, so where whites aren't making up 80% of the country anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And in, you know, here in California, it's you almost, well, in most of the, most of the counties, it's majority minority. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a feeling of losing something. And so uh, I think there's a, there's a, 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 a fight to not lose a way of life or not lose power which is why the confederate flag is so mm-hmm. important and such a yep. it stands for so much for these people nowadays yep. statues 
not these people, but a lot of folks who you're referring to that yeah. identify with this as part of their culture. Yeah, yeah. And so they're afraid that, you know, their school board's going to look a lot different and their city councils or, you know, the town mayor or whatever. And it's happening. A lot different. It is happening and it's real. And, mm-hmm. and it's a real fear uh, that, you know, some politicians nationally, Donald Trump, are they're tapping into that, right? Yeah. That's what it, everything that he is doing right now is to tap into that fear. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece of it is in the Midwest where, uh, you know, famously Donald Trump won because he won the Midwest. Um, in the Midwest, there's another dynamic, which I already sort of alluded to, which is when you, it used to be that when you graduated high school, there would be a job at the local factory. Mm-hmm. And you would do that and you would do that for 20 or 30 years and it would be a good living and you would, you'd be done, right? Um, I think I know you're going with yeah, this. Yeah, and now that, it that doesn't exist. So with, with yeah. what you just mentioned, because this kind of got me thinking, is it so a lot of that similar mentality just rolls over? It's yeah. like when people don't get out of their, their comfort zone, they don't mm-hmm. learn, right? Right. So a lot of the people that you grew up with had the same ideologies as their parents and grandparents and so yep. forth. Yep, and so and, and so it's a there wasn't necessarily, and, and I know a lot of people argue with me on this, but there wasn't necessarily a push towards added education beyond high school because there were jobs and you would go, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you would graduate and then you would go get a job and you would join a union, uh, at least where I was from, join a union and you would do that for the next 30 years. You wouldn't move to L.A. to be a singer. You wouldn't go to New York to be a journalist. You wouldn't go to Chicago to be a lawyer. Right. And you would stay in your local community and that's the way it was. And marry somebody from high school. Yep. Yeah, yeah, small town. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's exactly how it was. But that... That is or was? Of, was. Okay. That way of life is is going away. There's a book uh, called, um, and I'll, I, it's called The Hillbilly Elegy. Wow. Okay. What's and, it about? Go on. <laughs> and it's, it's literally about escaping a small town in Ohio. Uh, you suggest listeners to read yeah, this? Yes. It's, uh, uh, I think it's, uh, the, 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 the author's name is Vance. Okay. Last name Vance. Vance. We're going to add that to part of your solutions at the end of this conversation. Yeah. We like to give people some things to take home, and that sounds like a good one. It's a really good one. He I uh, could, could I benefit? Well, I guess oh, we yeah. all could oh, benefit yeah. from that. Yeah. Yeah. And you get a little bit of insight as to like where the background of that is, and and he does, uh, you know, his path went a little farther than mine, but he he ends up joining the military, and then he goes to law school, ends up at Yale Law School, mm-hmm. and he talks a lot about how easy it was to enter Yale Law School, even though he didn't have any money. Uh, and he, there's a whole chapter in the book about how, how he was able to do that. But the bigger Why thing- Why was he able to, because he- The military service okay. and, uh, and- He cashed in. And a lot of the, you know, according to him, I went, I went to Georgia State University, but uh, mm-hmm. according to him, a lot of the Ivy League schools have outreach programs to mm-hmm. poorer uh, families and because his family was really poor mm-hmm. uh he uh he was able to 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 go mm-hmm. almost for free mm-hmm. and so i thought that was interesting mm-hmm. uh so he went to ohio state or, or you know ohio ohio state university mm-hmm. for his pre-law and then law at yale and uh it's an interesting story because it's very similar to what i had uh, his family had ties to appalachia kentucky mm-hmm. um he talks about the history of the people coming up from Appalachia into the Rust Belt states to get jobs, right? And uh, and that was in the 30s, 40s, 50s. And then, you know, they had those jobs for decades. Mm-hmm. And it was a lifestyle. You, you know, your parents worked at a factory, you went to work at that factory. Uh, so you kind of yeah. broke the mold within your family. Yep. With, with you're, you're the kind of black sheep. Yeah, yeah, I left. <laughs> Still are the black sheep. Yeah. And I, you know, even just the idea of going to college right out of high school was, was pretty dramatic in, in parts of my family. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I was, I was going to do that and I ended up not because I didn't want to go to a Christian school and I didn't want to, I didn't want to cause a rift in the family by just mm-hmm. saying, look, I'm going to go to a public college. What are your thoughts on Christianity now? Uh, I, so I still consider myself a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still believe in, in God and Jesus died for your sins, all that stuff. Um, I don't go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have periodically gone on and off to church. Uh, I am looking for, you know, if I were to go to a church, I would want a church that has uh, a positive message. What, you know, challenge me, what can I do 
don't tell me what I shouldn't do. What you can't do. Right. Yeah, good point. And I, and if I could find that church, I'd probably go. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, and, and they do exist. Uh, right now, though, it just doesn't fit in my life. Yeah. And so I just don't go. We had a guest on Center for Spiritual Living. I, mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot about their ideologies, and I come from kind of the same idea, which is like, you know, it, it needs to be positive. There needs to be uh, direction, right? Yeah. And not slamming and talking about the past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I know that that they have a gay pastor. I know that place might be uh, something that might jive oh, nice. with what you're talking about. Um, all right, so jump in because because I, now I want you to talk a bit about. We've already talked about um, gay vets, which is something you mm-hmm. want to talk about. We already talked about uh, you heading down to San Diego for uh, the submarine USS Alexandria. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Oh uh, yeah, we could talk a little bit about. Uh, well, we've talked a little bit about it, but race relations. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. I'd like to take on that. So, so, yeah. do you want me to kind of form a question, or do you have some insight? Um, uh, you could ask me a question. All right. Well, I mean, it's weird because I'm 42. I'm a mixed race guy. Everybody knows that. The bio is on. You know, doyourpartpodcast.com. Obviously, my experience is going to be very, very different from yours. And a lot of people I know that are white seem to be in two parts. One is either they understand the plight of a black man and what we're going through, or a lot of them think that um, we're paranoid and that it's manifested and that, uh, you know, we have control over this. What do you think about that? All right. So, you know, I'll, I'll say that uh, I had a time in my life where, you know, I grew up in a relatively poor family, pretty poor, actually. Uh, nah, I mean, we were lower middle class, mm-hmm. uh, but there were definitely times where we struggled. And so when I started hearing people talk about white privilege, I would often scoff at that and mm-hmm. say, what are you talking about? And it took me quite some time to come around to the fact that I was a benefit of white privilege. So then uh, define that. What is white privilege? So for me, uh, it, it can be as simple as not fearing getting pulled over if you roll through a stop sign. It can be that simple. It can be as simple as uh, if I go into a store in Palm Desert, which we're in right now, uh, I'm not going to, no one's going to follow me. Why? Oh, yeah. Why is this so easy for you? And why was, why did it take you, why did it take you a while to get to this conclusion? I I think I was thinking bigger. Maybe the words were just too, the bigger, go ahead. Yeah. So I was thinking that white privilege was this idea that all white people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth and going to college is easy and all this, right? That's not what it means. And that's not what it means. Right. And so, so you have these, you know, some white people who have a similar background to me who are like, hey, you shouldn't be giving, and I'm just going to pick on Michigan State University because they seem to be in the news often about, uh-huh. about uh, affirmative action. You shouldn't be giving, uh, you know, black people a uh, free ride at Michigan State University if I can't get in. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a, you know, I grew up poor. I had a broken family, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, all that stuff, right? And so I think that they think, you know, and definitely I did. I thought, well, I don't have white privilege. I wasn't born like that. Mm-hmm. I have a lot more in common uh, with with black people than I do with most mm-hmm. white people. Mm-hmm. And so I obviously don't have white privilege. I thought that. Um, that's not true. Uh, you know, and, and and it's funny because I've kind of become the voice of that. My, if, if I'm out with a white friend and they say something like, oh, why did that person come to a full stop? I'll be like, no, oh, there's your white privilege. So you yeah. so you speak out and you actually yeah. you to your friends yeah yeah I'll say it I'll say it like I was riding with somebody the other how day. do they respond to that uh, eye like, roll or do they yeah, think it's about a it a little bit of an eye roll but sometimes you'll you'll get a, a positive response and this is what yeah. needs to be happening in society always yeah. but especially now is dialogue conversation conversation and pulling and accountability mm-hmm. right I was talking to a friend the other day and she said something about jewing somebody down and she stopped herself in that yeah. moment checked herself and then has been talking about it ever since. You know, it's about small things. It's yep. about accountability. I'm just, I'm, I didn't know this about you, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm relieved to hear this, this, but it, it still concerns me. I often use my cousin who doesn't like those words white privilege. It concerns me that people just don't understand how easy it is to understand. It's really easy. If you, I mean, everybody knows. Uh, like I, was, I was talking to my brother the other day who is not somebody who would think, you know, who believes in white privilege. But I said, you know, we were talking specifically about uh, police, uh, you know, brutality. And, and you know, he said something about uh, we should respect the police. And I said, you know, here's the deal. Like when, when 
the police stop specifically targeting one group and then brutalizing that one group, then this stuff, then all the rest will become unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, as you know, as well as I know, that if you get pulled over just for being black in mm-hmm. some communities mm-hmm. and you know, if that is still going to keep happening, then we have to have a movement to prevent that. Like it's that simple. And that's what this movement is. Yeah. That's how, what this is. So how do I get, how do we get people to kind of jump on yeah. board with your ideology, with the fact that white privilege is there and that it is something that should be acknowledged. You know, I think I saw a, a GIF on um, Facebook. It's like, I will not apologize for being white. I don't think people are asking anybody to make any apologies. It's just about acknowledging yeah. things within yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's the idea that, yeah, everybody struggles. Mm-hmm. But... I've uh, had privilege. Yeah, right. Everybody struggles and, and everybody struggles. has yeah. some privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is definitely in our society a a difference in how you're treated mm-hmm. if you're white versus other races. Period. 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 And, and I, I. Period. You know, I, I don't think that's an argument. that You, you know can, what? I just you know. I just had a little bit of an epiphany. Yeah. If you are white and you don't know what that experience is like, then how do you gauge it? How do you understand it so i will say on the flip side i just had a little bit of an epiphany for me because it seems like it seems like two plus two is four like you guys it's not that hard but again if you're living in this kind of your own bubble as we all are and you're not influenced or affected by that what do you have to compare it to so i i have an example of how i saw uh white privilege up close and personal in my life so Mm. i i bought a car in Illinois, and it had uh, um, tinting on the passenger and driver's windows. Well, that's illegal in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I bought the, I bought the car in Illinois. It had been driven in Illinois. It was several years old. It was a used car. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll get around to doing that at some point. And I drove the car. My boyfriend at the time was black. And so he was driving us back from Target both of us in the car. Mm-hmm. I had been driving this car for months. Uh-huh. We got pulled over. He's been in it five minutes. Yep. And boom. Literally. And I swear that the target that we lived close by was three blocks. Mm-hmm. So we didn't even drive three blocks. And boom, we got pulled over and got a ticket for the tinted windows. And, you know, both of us at the time, we laughed it off a bit. But the fact of the matter is, is I had been driving the car for months. And weren't even looked at. And not even looked at. And he drives the car for minutes. So were you, yeah. so you laughed, but were you yeah. filled with confusion, rage? Were you, were you angry? Were you, did you feel like you wanted to speak on behalf uh, of him when you got pulled over? Like, what was that emotional like, experience like? So it was a little dizzying, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, wait, it took me a minute. Like, I think we were well into the encounter before I realized the reason we were pulled over. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, we got pulled over just because because you're driving. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, he's like, welcome to my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I, uh, I was, I was shocked. Uh, and we took the, the tent off the window that day. And then, uh, I think we ended up not actually having to pay the, the fine because mm-hmm. we proved that we mm-hmm. corrected it. Yeah. You fixed it. Yeah. But at the same time, it w- it was, it was a little, uh, opening that you're just like, oh yeah. Yeah. And I guess also what I'm hearing is people need to open up their circles a little bit, diversify so you can witness these things and really see it firsthand. Because if you've never seen it, you don't really believe it. Yeah, if you've never ridden in a car with a black person driving, Uh maybe you haven't seen how different they have to drive than you have to yeah, drive. Yeah, yeah. It's true. I drive yeah. like a bat out of hell, but that, that's another conversation. I grew up in a small suburb in a very, very white community, and a lot of my friends still to this day are white. And um, my best friend, for example, you know, she's witnessed so many things as far as just how I've been treated. Not necessarily treated badly, but just differently. And, um, and so... Again, I do think people need to be able to see what's happening first thing yeah. to really understand it. Yeah, and you right. have to speak up sometimes. So uh, I, when we were on the submarine, I remember one time uh, we were taking off uh, a work day for President's Day. But then Martin Luther King Day was coming up and the boat announced that we wouldn't be taking off for that, even though it's a federal holiday. And 
I remember saying to my friend, Eric, who is black, I was like, you should say something about that. We should all say something about that. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair that we take President's Day off, which at that time was an all-white man's club, mm -hmm. right, and not take Martin Luther King Day off. And so enough of us said something that they ended up saying, yep, yeah, you're right. And you made a change. Yep, we made a change. Get out of town. Really all... simple. And this started with you. Yeah, well, it started with me and others. So as soon as they announced it, a lot of people were like, wait a second. Like, it wasn't just me. Yeah, but you so, started the yeah, conversation. Yeah, I started the conversation with my friend, yeah. I love that. This is, yeah. a, this is a perfect example of how one conversation can plant a seed which can grow quickly and make change. Yep. Beautiful. Very simple. And you wow. know, an acknowledgement that, oh, yeah, that might have been misguided. Yeah. So. You know, truth be told, things fall to the wayside, and people, mm -hmm. you know, we're lazy. I think at times, and when you step into something, and the template, the structure is already there. Why, why make change? Yeah. And these are the changes that need to be made. Right. Um, Black Lives Matter, BLM. What is, what is that? What do you think when you hear that? So I, I have positive thoughts. Uh -huh. uh, so I think, for me, it's very simple. Like you have to, if you look at what's going on with police brutality. Yeah, it happens to all races, yeah. which was I, I watched William Barr say that today mm -hmm. uh, in front of During the hearing, the, yeah. A hearing. Yeah. And uh, and yes, he's absolutely right. It happens to all races. But mm -hmm. it is definitely true that um, the police have a reputation. And I'm not going to group them all together, but there is definitely a, a vein in the police force that have uh, that have have targeted black people. What is it? Blacks are 380 times more likely to be shot by a cop. Yeah. And so he, uh, so Barr today, I'll just share one statistic. He said that there have been eight uh, unarmed. I could have been wrong on that quote. Go ahead. Yeah. He said there's been eight un unarmed blacks shot by police so far this year. And there's been 11 white unarmed people shot by the police. Mm -hmm. And so obviously the connotation there, what he's trying to get across is that more whites have been shot. Well, whites make up 70% of the country. Mm -hmm. and, and, and It's just math. Yeah, and blacks make up 10%. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's almost the same number, eight and 11 is not that far apart. Speaks volumes. Is ridiculous. Yeah. It's all math. So he actually put his foot in his mouth by yeah. talking or saying yeah. that. And so like when I, I watched, that was literally the only part that I could stomach to watch of his hearing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I just, I turned it off literally right after that. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Like I get where you're going. You're trying to say that Police brutality is an overall problem, mm -hmm. but you're, but he's We're missing the it. point yeah. of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, it's deflection. Yeah, which it's is deflection. what we are, what's, what everyone's been doing what, since and Trump's I, been in office. And Black Lives, the group Black Lives Matter has been vocal about no police brutality is okay. Right. <laughs> Period. Well, duh. Yeah. Because like, there's right and there's wrong. Yeah. The reason I ask you that is because yeah. I know that BLM has been inflammatory for a lot of people, regardless of what side they're on. And they're like, oh, it's an organization. And you go on their website and see where the money goes and what they're funding. I think there's that. And then there's the BLM message. Right. And for me, the focus is on the message. Yeah, me too. Just that Black Lives Matter and, yeah. that, they're weird, and that there's a problem and it needs to be focused on. Period. Yeah, that's exactly how I am. I don't. It's easy. I, I honestly don't follow the group. But, you know, I. I also don't think the group's doing awful things, but uh -huh. uh, but I don't really follow them. And, yeah, you know, it, you know, it's not something I do. I think it's a great message that they have. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you, and I don't follow them either. But I like to follow mm -hmm. the message, and I like to continue to talk about it. Do you have hope for the future? I do. Uh, so you know, I here's the thing: uh, if you go back in time, twelve years ago, uh, you know, Barack Obama got elected first black president right uh i was a huge supporter i really lo loved the fact that he got elected mm -hmm. uh that was a bit of a revolution unfortunately i don't think that we quite lived up to that revolution um and then now we're having the counter-revolution you know or at least the last couple of years have been the counter-revolution to that revolution so this was i like like what you're saying this mm -hmm. was predictable yeah it's predictable this was people got upset and they don't like the uh, you know more freedoms for homosexuals, mm -hmm. more uh, freedoms for black people, more, you know. And this has kind of been the yeah. ebb and flow of our, of the, our political system. Right. And period. DACA and the whole thing, right? So mm -hmm. there a lot of things that I personally consider positive aren't viewed by a lot of people as positive. And they, they fought back. And and uh, and so we ended up with a, a really the most conservative Senate in my lifetime mm -hmm. and the most right wing president in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't think I think that was a little bit predictable mm-hmm. um, because those of us who were part of the, you know, the change of 2008, it kinda, we got used to it. Mm-hmm. We're like, yay, it's all done. And uh, it's not done. Uh, I sure relaxed. I yeah, I, relaxed. I was like, this was like hit us like a train. I was like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. But you're right. If you take hindsight, mm-hmm. hindsight. 2020, if you really think about it, you know. Yeah, I wish I'd read that book I talked about, The Hillbilly Elegy, before Trump got elected, mm-hmm. um, which it was out that summer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't read it, but he predicted that um, that whites, in working class whites in the Midwest would go for Trump in a way that was not normal for that mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And um, and he predicted that, and I, I think he's right. Like mm-hmm. uh, He predicted it because he's, he said exactly that they're afraid and and the the amount of change is overwhelming and they don't see a positive future for their community mm-hmm. uh and so yeah and that's what we've been seeing yep. and continuing to yep that's right yeah and until those communities uh do are included and i think there can be uh outreach to um those poorer white communities mm-hmm. uh throughout the country and there could be outreach to that um and should be mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, coal miners aren't getting their jobs back. Steel mills aren't being built. Uh, you know, auto industry is spread out throughout the world. All of those things that used to uh, employ a group of, of you know, working class yeah. people are, are, are going away right. and, uh, or have gone away. And, uh, and we need a message that, and, and a strategy that, uh, that, that helps those groups of people. And it's not even just, you know, working class white people, it's working class people in general. It's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So there needs to be an alternative when you get out of high school, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, not everyone's going to join the military. Not everyone's going to go to college. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? Right. And, it, and, and I'm sorry, but working at Walmart or even working at Starbucks is not the answer mm-hmm. in the long run. Yeah. I, um, mm-hmm. we were talking about this a few days ago. I, I'm a buddy of mine, but, um, Home ec, uh, drafting, uh, workshop, um, or wood shop rather, um, auto shop. These are all trades that you would learn in school that would mm-hmm. motivate you to want to go get into some sort of trade outside of school. I've got friends who are uh, roofers and um, electricians and plumbers, and they they lead beautiful lives. They do very well for themselves. And uh, you're right. There was this kind of uh, this missing link that happened yep. as we've kind of fast-forwarded into 2020. Defund the police. What's up with that? So I, I, I hate... I, not hate. I dislike the terminology, the right? Yeah. Uh, I understand the sentiment, though, and I understand the policy behind it. Uh, so and, let, put it in layman's yeah. for people. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it, it's, it's more about distribution of funds uh, to change the police. So, and I don't know. That's not a catchphrase that I can wrap up. I wish I had a two-word catchphrase I could wrap up that everybody could get behind. Mm-hmm. But you know, I see it. In, in my life. So, you know, I manage a, a coffee shop and I'll, uh, there's times where you have to call 911. Like mm-hmm. you just have a problem, right? Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and the police will show up, but that problem might really just be a social justice problem or a, or a uh, you know, like a homeless person who fell asleep in the bathroom. Who do you call? The only people to call right now are the police. What a great example. And that's yeah. wasting. Yeah the police force that's wasting their time it's absolutely wasting their time and it's making them do things that we're we're paying a lot for a police force to do that and that's really a job that could be done by by anybody anybody so we're not so we're not asked we're not saying that we're taking salary away from police or affecting what they take home or anything we're talking about reallocating some of the funds for people who can handle certain situations that don't need police. Absolutely, and and same with like domestic, like uh, maybe domestic violence isn't the best example, but but people with mental issues, homeless people. Yeah, like if you look at what the George Floyd case, let's just say that in particular, the shop owner called the police because of a counterfeit check. Is that really a reason that the the police who were supposed to actively stop? you know, protect the community. Mm-hmm. Is that a reason they need to show up? Mm-hmm. I, I would argue no. Mm-hmm. Like maybe if you called a number and said, hey, I think I have a counterfeit check. I'm mm-hmm. going to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Can somebody look into it? I don't know that you need a police response immediately mm-hmm. for a counterfeit check. 
And yeah. I think it's a waste of their time to do. Mm-hmm. And look what happened. Like it escalated way out of control. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that could have been avoided if there had just been in Minneapolis a, mm-hmm. a way for somebody else in the community to deal with um, a counterfeit check mm-hmm. or what was suspected. I don't know. Not even or a homeless sure. man sleeping or a homeless man yeah. sleeping inside a bathroom. I had a, yeah. um, a sheriff on a few weeks ago and he talked about what it's like. He actually used an example of CHP opposed to police and how uh, CHP, their mentality is a little different because they're not used to the same, that, 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 that beat on the street and dealing with, you know, just gritty people and having mm-hmm. to be a little more callous with, with their days. Right? Right, right. So I use that as an example because it's true. I mean, as a cop, I mean, you know, when you're, right, you're all you're de- doing is just slapping cuffs on people. And you know, that's what you're doing. It seems like you would kind of have that same attitude with almost everything that you're touching. And some things wouldn't merit that attitude or energy or yep. cuffs or et cetera. Yep, absolutely. I, and I've, I've seen it so much because I, you know, worked in two cities and, you know, my, I went to college at Georgia State University, which is right in downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you know, surrounded, there's a huge homeless population in Woodruff Park in downtown Atlanta. I don't know if you've been there, but it's right off Peachtree. And, uh, and yeah. And so I've seen the cops have to deal with stuff that really maybe a, sh- a social worker mm-hmm. should be dealing with. You know, yeah, you've witnessed it. Yeah. And, and I've seen it in my shop a mm-hmm. bunch of times, uh, countless times where we've had to call the police just because there's no one else to call. Mm-hmm. Like we had somebody who was obviously, you know, maybe on some substance or something who fell asleep and then urinated all over herself. Well, mm-hmm. what do you do? Mm-hmm. Right. You're like, OK, I need you to get out. Right. But they're out of it. Mm-hmm. And so you call the police and and. Again, in that situation, I just wonder if there's not a better solution yeah. than the police showing up yeah. with guns. And, you know, you're just going to escalate a, a situation that doesn't need to be. Escalated. It just fuels it. Yeah. I've witnessed it. I've watched something mm-hmm. small turn into something huge because mm-hmm. too many people are getting involved. And that's how energy works. That's how, you know, yeah. I don't want to say masculinity, but, you know, everyone starts getting, wants to get involved and fueling and feeding the fire. Um, I'm glad I wanted to ask you that because, again, I think that you have a great way of, um, again, putting things into layman's and it's all about the voice it's coming from. Right. Um, These are all from BLM to defund the police. These are all very um, inflammatory words for people. And it's I don't like that. Those are the terms and titles. I think that we could have done better. Yeah. From white privilege to defund the police, et cetera, because that's not really what it that's not really the direction with the message but mm-hmm. anyway i'm really glad that you that i was able to ask you those questions we're going to start to wrap things up wrap, wrap things up you mentioned hill billy elegy mm-hmm. uh by mr vance that's the author so i want you to a take this time to add anything else you'd like to add today and then i want you to leave us with some solutions because you know that's really a big part of what we do here yeah i would say the biggest solution is to vote Ooh. i can't okay. stress that enough uh Vote any way you can, mm-hmm. uh, by mail, show up if you, you know, need to, depending on what state you're in. Because, uh, you know, I know some states don't do mail-in voting. Uh, I love that California does do mail-in voting. I use that here. Uh, love it. Uh, I wouldn't even have thought about it in Illinois, but it's available there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so vote is the best thing you can do. That's how you raise your voice. You know, I'm not saying vote for my guy. You know, which I didn't even mention, by the way, uh, don't, not saying that, uh, but get out and vote. That's your voice. That's how things change. That's the best way to change things. Uh, if you don't like, you know, corporate sponsors inside our government, if you don't like or if you do like that, you know, uh, vote. That's the number one thing we can all do. And then I would say the the, the second thing that we can do is in, you know, Put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. If you are worried about, um, you know, how the military is treated, like for me, uh, like I saw a need for uh, the submarine that I happened to serve on. I saw a need and jumped out there and asked friends to help. And it worked. Get involved. Get involved. Do do something. Do Uh, your part. Yeah. Get out. You know, right now it's the middle of a pandemic and. You know, it occurred to me that the, the national parks are full of people. And I, so while I, it actually didn't occur to me, we went to Joshua Tree and it was full of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like, wow, where, who's taking care of all this? Well, it turns out I saw an article about 
it's mostly volunteers right that are getting out there and what a, you know i just read it yesterday but what a great way to get outside in the middle of a pandemic yeah yeah get out there and help the park that's closest to you mm-hmm. you know there's something we can all do there's always something we can do to make our community a little bit better and then my last thing is simple be kind mm. to people that's, that should have been number one go yeah, on yeah that's the simplest thing we can all do is yeah. be kind like you know i if i see somebody i'm not a trump fan i see somebody come in with the trump mask on i'm gonna say thank you for wearing your mask mm. simple i don't need to try to change who they are mm-hmm. or or say something disparaging mm-hmm. or focus on the difference you're focusing yeah. on the commonality right yeah thank you for wearing a mask yeah. appreciate it yeah that's simple. We, we, I think we're all, you know, and this is me included. We got a little, a little to us and them. Mm-hmm. Um, and your us and them depends on who you are, but right. yeah, we got a little to us and them. And maybe, maybe it's time to just, you know, be kind uh-huh. to each other and, and just be we, and, not us and them. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because you're right. It's this Mm -hmm. whole, there's so many things that we can now uh, choose to divide ourselves over. And that seems to be the focus instead of, again, what do we have that's similar? Yeah. Like, yeah, if I had to pick why the pandemic was worse here in the United States, I think it's actually a little bit more of, of we politicize everything Mm -hmm. and make it about us and them Mm -hmm. than, than the failed response by the administration. I, I think it's a lot more of, it was bound to happen. You know, if if we'd had Hillary Clinton as president, uh, there would have been a group on either side that would have politicized this pandemic. It's right. just who we are right now. And we need to get past that. Yeah. I mm-hmm. often think that this is um, the call. You know, this is what we need. This is mm-hmm. where the consciousness will uh, begin to shift and uh, good things will happen. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to let you go. I've had you here for over an hour and I'm really grateful. This was kind of like this is kind of what I was wanting from you. Nice. So thank you. You feel good about this? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. It was great. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. All right, everybody, you heard it. So uh, Dave is his name. We're at the end of this, you can uh, hop onto our website, and we'll have some detail about how you can contact him. I don't know how comfortable he is with people knocking at his door, uh, <laughs> meaning Facebook, et cetera. But we'll uh, throw up some information from him for you. Remember, his solutions is to be kind, make sure you vote, and put your money where, you mou- where your mouth is. I like that. Speaking of mouths, I've been a bit of a marble mouth today. Excuse me. But, um, again, we love you. And uh, do your part. Take care of each other. And a big thanks to Dave. We'll see you soon. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys. Have a good one. I am absolutely confident that you continue to do your part. Thank you for listening to another episode of Do Your Part. I work at staying awake. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. Stay connected with Brian Gallo through social media at Do Your Part Podcast or visit doyourpartpodcast.com. 